Is it true what they're saying about cashmere, that it really is harming our planet? And what about alpaca as an alternative? Is it really as soft as cashmere? And what if I want to have alpaca herd? I heard that they're really lucrative and you can make money if you have an alpaca herd and there's a big demand for their fleece. How do you go about doing that? We discover all things alpaca on today's show, episode four. You're listening to This Outside Life with Lori Kaler. Here we explore the lives of outsiders, those people who work or play in the great outdoors. At This Outside Life, we are committed to curing nature blindness and helping you step outside and step into wonder. Whether you like to enjoy nature by backpacking or from your back porch, there's something here for you to learn and appreciate about this amazing world we all share. In today's podcast, I am talking with my big sister, Signe Ostby. Well, although I'm younger, I'm actually bigger than her, but whatever. I look up to her because she's older and wiser than I am. My sister is unique because even though she lives in the midst of technology in Silicon Valley, she is an avid fleece farmer meaning she raises alpaca and sheep for their fleece, from which she has the fibers spun into yarn and sells it on her website. But that's not why she got into animal husbandry. She initially just wanted some critters to nibble down her meadow without damaging the land. So we're going to learn about the difference between llamas and alpacas. Why are they better than goats, cows, or horses for grazing your land? why alpaca sweaters are a better, more sustainable, and environmentally wise choice than cashmere, and also why alpaca is usually softer. And if you want to live off the land and raise animals for their fleece, we find out about what it takes to do all this. Visit the website www.thisoutsidelife.com slash alpaca to download a free knitting pattern you'll want to try with Signe's yarn. Her alpaca yarns are so heavenly soft that knitting enthusiasts from as far away as Japan order it online. I'll have a link to her website as well, so you can get your hands on this 100% organic, American-raised alpaca and sheep's yarn. We are recording. I'm here with my sister, knitting, (laughs) knitting as usual. And my sister is very different than I am. She got a business degree, and I'm all about, well, I was into swimming and the arts and literature, but we both love gardening and knitting, which is what she's doing right now. And she's also unique in that in the midst of the Silicon Valley, she has an alpaca herd and a sheep herd, which you can understand because she loves knitting, but most people would just go buy yarn. And maybe that's not even the reason she got the alpaca. So let's find out why do you have an alpaca herd and tell us more about animal husbandry. How did this all start? Okay, well, as she mentioned, we live here in Silicon Valley and we had a parcel of our property that was empty and i.e. empty. It just had grass and weeds and stuff like that on it. And over the years, I tried to grow wildflowers over there 
And then I had to go pay somebody to mow it every year. And I just thought, oh, that seems like such a wrong thing to do. And I thought maybe I could go investigate the grazing habits of different animals. And so I went out and I looked at uh, the grazing habits of sheep and goats and alpacas. And I thought, wow. And horses. You love horseback riding. Yes, I love horses. But I knew that horses don't graze very well. They're very hard on the land, especially if the land is muddy or slopey, which my land was. So I ruled. Well, so what happens? So what if it's muddy or slopey? What how do they wreck the land? Um, Well, what they do is they're heavy. So a horse weighs 1400 pounds about. And when they decide that they want to eat something like a bunch of grass, they reach down, grab it with both their top and lower teeth and rip it out of the soil. (laughs) And so it could come out with its roots or not. And so if you're growing wildflowers and you want some of the root matter to stay there, uh, the horses are very difficult on the land and they just rip it all out. Hmm. So, and why not goats? A lot of people like goats. Yeah, a lot of people like goats. And the advantage to goats are they're pretty carefree. You, you do not have to fuss with much from a goat standpoint. You don't have to shoe them like horses. You don't have to be kind of picky about their feed. They eat everything. And that's part of the problem. They eat everything everything. Anything you could have there, they will eat it. They've been known to eat plastic. They've been known to eat wood. They eat everything. So I wanted the grasses to grow in this meadow. And I didn't want it to be, you know, bare dirt. And I thought that the, or I know that the, because the goats will eat everything in very short order, even if I fed the goats extra material, the grass would no longer grow in my meadow area. So, Oh, really? Even if you supplement their feeding, you just can't get the grass to grow? No, because the goats will continue to graze. So they will eat everything. So <laughs> You keep saying everything. <laughs> I can't stress it enough. People think, oh, well, but they won't eat this. No, they will eat everything. Will they eat poisonous stuff? Like I know oleander is poisonous to alpacas. Will they eat that? I'm sure they would eat that. They probably would die doing that. But they will eat poison oak, poison ivy, any kind of brush, bramble berries, you know, everything. Okay. So you decided what would be the best grazing animal? So I looked at sheep and I looked at alpacas. And the fun thing that for me was that um, both of them produce really wonderful fiber. And I love raising animals that produce a product that you don't have to kill them to use, like (laughs) chickens lay eggs, and you can enjoy the benefit of their egg laying. And both sheep and alpaca produce fiber that you just shear once a year. And so I thought that would be pretty cool if I could use the fiber and use it for knitting. So I investigated that. And then I realized that the sheep that would produce the fiber that I would want to knit with, I didn't think would work well in my area. So I know you're a huge knitter. So what kind of sheep fiber do you prefer to knit with? Back then, I was pretty interested in superfine merino. And I like merino because it can be very, very fine. So fine that you could easily wear it next to your skin. It also has a crimpiness to it. And by crimpiness, I mean, if you look at a one single piece of fiber, it will have a zigzaggy, the the fiber won't be straight, it will be zigzaggy. Like an afro hair, like really crimpy like that? Yeah. 
and that's called crimp. And why that's great in knitting or great for a sweater that you might wear is that if you wear it and you move around, let's say you bend your elbows a lot, you will stretch out that portion of your sweater. But if you have a crimpy fiber, the fiber retains the memory and goes back into shape. So you don't have to worry about it getting stretched out. Like natural lycra. Kind of, yeah. (laughs) Sheep Spanx. Right. Um, So Merino is really, really great at that. But some of the sheep that would be more appropriate for my area didn't have that kind of fiber-producing quality. So I... Oh, wait a minute. So Merino, they grow, or grow, they raise in Australia, and it's very dry there. So they wouldn't do well here because it's just too wet in the winter rains? Yes. In the winter rains, we get cold and we get wet. And obviously, they have a pretty great um, coat on them, so they can withstand the cold. But the they, their feet are known to have problems in moist situations. And our area is a lot moister than Australia, and it would be difficult for them. Hmm. You had to do a ton of research to figure out all these critter decisions. Yeah, I did. <laughs> it was interesting. All right. So you started with alpaca and they were nibbling the grass. So talk about how they they graze as opposed to horses or cattle. Well, alpaca are kind of interesting for many reasons, but one of them is they only have a lower set of teeth on their lower jaw. So they don't have any teeth on their upper palate. And so the way they graze is they take their very sharp lower teeth and they press the grass on their hard upper palate and they kind of clip it. And so if you look at an area where alpaca have been grazing, it kind of has the effect of a golf course. It's mowed like that. Oh, just shorn real short. Yeah. Yeah, it's shorn really short right down to... Like a putting green. (laughs) Yes, exactly like that. It's really kind of cool. Huh. Then alpaca have another kind of neat feature that you may want to delete off your podcast, but they <laughs> they all poop in one area. I love that. I thought it was so cool. You don't have to worry about stepping in it like cow pies. It, it's like, oh, no, they all go to this one area and poop. I thought it was great. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting. They have their poop piles. They all walk over there when they need to poop and poop in that one area. So I thought, oh, gosh, that would be so efficient to clean up after. <laughs> then you know that they have to be shorn once a year like sheep. So then how did you go about finding somebody to shear your alpaca? Well, I first and foremost talked to the person who I bought the alpaca from, and they were local to my area. And they gave me the name of a shearer. And um, over the years, we've worked with a couple different shearers. But Normally, we get a person who is very knowledgeable about shearing sheep in either Australia or New Zealand. And of course, because they are in the uh, lower hemisphere and we are in the northern hemisphere, when they're not working, they can come up here and work. And so we have a shearer that has a um, kind of a route up the coast of up the west coast. And we used him for years. Oh, that's so smart. Yeah, the seasons would be totally opposite. Um, And if we hear a clicking noise, it's because she's, of course, knitting as we talk. (laughs) All right, so then you started, you had alpaca, and you thought, hey, let's use this. And so then you got it shorn. And then how did you know what to do with the, the fleece? I mean, you've got this big wad of hair. And then what? I mean, you're thinking, now I've got to make it into yarn. 
Well, in the early days, I thought, oh, maybe it might be kind of fun to spin it myself. And so I tried to learn how to spin. And I guess I could say that I sort of know how to spin, but it's really um, not fun for me. And I'm not very good at it. So I thought, okay. And plus, it would take forever because I'm not so good at it. So I thought, well, um, there are a number of small cottage mills around. And I began working with one outside of Boise, Idaho. And she did a great job spinning my fleece into yarn. Cool. So that was when it was all 100% alpaca? Yes, I started at 100% alpaca, but I was really, but as I knit with my 100% alpaca, even though it was very nice fiber, I wasn't crazy about the fabric that it produced. So what I mean by that is um, you can make the fiber, you can knit it into anything. You can make a hat, mittens, a shawl, scarf, sweater, whatever, socks. And I think that the alpaca was fantastic for scarves, but I started to run out of how many people can I make scarves for with my alpaca? (laughs) And so I started thinking, oh, wouldn't it be great to have an alpaca sweater? And there were several issues with that. One is that um, alpaca fiber in general does not have the scales or the crimp that sheep fiber has. So anybody that's had their hair colored or understands what a hair shaft looks like knows about scales. It's like shingles on a roof. And when you treat the hair with a dye or bleach, doesn't it lift off those scales? Yeah, okay. Mm -hmm. And alpaca is truly a a hair fiber as opposed to a a fur fiber, I guess I would say. So it's got a hollow core which is what makes it so unique for trapping heat. And it doesn't have any scales like sheep have scales. Sheep's fiber have scales. Which is why some wool sweaters are incredibly itchy because it's this very scaly fiber, right? Well, in part, it's itchy because that there are scales to it, but it's also itchy, could be itchy, because of how they process the fiber. So for a lot of sheep to get the vegetable vegetable matter out of there, like twigs and branches, twigs and branches, feed, burrs, pricklers, anything. Mm -hmm. They do not comb it out. They carbonize it out with acid. Oh, that's got to do something to the quality of the fiber. Well, it definitely lifts the scales up Mm -hmm. off the shaft. Mm -hmm. And so because of that acid treatment to carbonize all the vegetable matter out of there, they, um, the scales become more prickly. And that's why people think they're allergic to wool. They're not really allergic to wool. For, in many cases, they are sensitive to the prickle factor. Huh. And so alpaca is just totally smooth, like our hair on our body. Oh, that's fascinating. Okay. Which, exactly. yeah, but then it doesn't have the crimp, so it doesn't have the memory. It will sag, which is why you now... Well, we'll get to sheep later, but now you mix your alpaca fiber with sheep to give it that crimp and memory, and still it's really soft. You can breed your alpacas to produce very crimpy fiber, and I certainly have done that. But regardless of how crimpy the fiber is from the alpacas, it does not have the memory and kind of snap back factor that merino or cormo sheep fiber have. Okay, so now you've got Two herds. You've got alpacas. How many alpacas do you have? Mm, Less than 50. And then how many sheep? Around 30. 
And the sheep are all Cormo? They are Cormo and Cormo crosses. So are there differences? Like I had a friend who said, you know, um, I would like to just get a couple acres. And, and I think, you know, alpaca, that you you can get a lot of money for those fleeces. And so I think I'll just get a couple of alpaca and, and live off the land. And I thought, you have no idea what you're talking about. And so what sort of things do people need to think about if they want to have a herd of alpaca? Well, first and foremost, alpacas are herd animals, much like sheep. So you really can't have one or even two. I think having three or four at minimum is about the right size for a herd. And another good thing about alpaca is that they're kind of on the small side. A large male alpaca will probably weigh about 120 to 130 pounds, and the females weigh less. So for most individuals, that's a reasonable sized animal to manage. Um, Especially if you have big dogs, it's not that much different. (laughs) No, correct. But compared to a horse or a cow or a large pig, they're they're just a lot easier to manage. Mm -hmm. So that part is good. They eat a very um, basic diet. They basically eat grass. So if you had them in your backyard and you were buying hay, you do not need to buy a fancy high-priced alfalfa hay. You could simply buy orchard grass or timothy grass, and they'd be very happy with that. So they're not complicated to feed. So when they when you buy that stuff, though, I mean, to me, the person who just doesn't understand the difference between you know, alfalfa or hay or whatever, that's all kind of dry. Is that the same nutritional value as this fresh green grass? Well, of course, all animals would prefer fresh green gra- grass, but you have to remember that alpacas are from the Altiplano area of Peru, Bolivia, and Chile. So they're very comfortable living at mm, 10,000 to 14,000 feet high. And there aren't, there's not lush green grass growing there. So they're used to growing, to eating a fairly meager diet. Oh, yeah. Okay. And so what's the coldest it gets up there? I mean, it must be pretty darn cold because if you wear all pack a sweater that you would want to be in Alaska, it's so hot, right? I mean, it's um, alpaca is very warm, and it's about six times the warmth of a regular wool. So you you do want to, it works best when you're in a cold climate. <laughs> and it gets very, very cold up in the Altiplano. Now, I live in California, and I don't live up in the mountains of California. So for me, I am just not really comfortable wearing alpaca much. So that's partly why I like to blend it with sheep's wool to make it less heavy and less warm. I know you, I'm going on a tangent, we're back to fiber again, but I know you mix it with silk sometimes. So why do you mix it with silk? Um, Silk is just lovely. It's lovely to work with any fiber mixed with silk. I mean, it's like silk makes everything more lustrous and more wonderful. I think that one of the reasons to blend silk with alpaca is because alpaca doesn't typically have shininess to it. And if you want a yarn that has a little bit more luster and shine to it, silk can definitely add that. In addition to shininess, it also adds strength. There is almost no fiber as strong as silk. So if you're um, wearing something that uh, you, you know, gets a lot of wear, silk will make it wear really much more ruggedly. It's so interesting because it, as like a silk shirt or something, it seems so 
filmy and and, and but it's really really strong. It's really strong. Yeah. And then the other thing that's nice about silk is it provides a really lovely drape. Garments made from silk or a yarn that has silk in it will drape very beautifully. Hmm. The negative about silk is it has zero memory at all. It has absolutely no stretch whatsoever. <laughs> so if you're going to wear a silk garment, just keep that in mind. Yeah. So what are the differences that people need to be aware of between raising alpacas versus raising sheep? Like they might say, you know, I'll just do sheep. There are people around that I could ask about them. Alpacas seem too exotic. So what are the differences in raising sheep versus alpaca? Well, I've raised both, and I have to say that I think alpacas are a lot easier. They have a, a far um, simple diet. They like to eat kind of poor quality grass, basically. And <laughs> sheep um, have a need a little bit more um, nutritious grass to, to do well. Alpacas' feet are very easy to keep free from damage, whereas sheep will basically have foot issues and the wetter it is the more foot issues sheep will have oh because they just stand in the damp and puddles all day and then it gets nasty hopefully you don't keep them in damp and puddles but no (laughs) um but yes and um sheep tend to have more skin issues what about um mating and delivery Uh, you know i used to listen to these books where you had vets delivering these creatures and uh, sheep don't seem all that smart. What, is there any difference as to how they deliver or their gestation or what the needs are for the babies? Um, mm, well, they're, they're totally different animals. Alpacas have a gestation period of 11 months, hmm. and sheep have a gestation period of about four months. Wow. So it's totally different. I think... They're probably similar in terms of complications with delivery. Um, Many breeds of sheep will have twins and triplets, which can be a little bit more exciting. And the sheep may not have sufficient milk for triplets. So you want to be careful if the breed that you're raising is more likely to have that. Alpacas almost never have twins. It's Mm -hmm. unbelievably rare. So they would just have one at a time. And, you know, like any animal, including humans, there can be challenges in births, but I would say that 90% of all sheep and all alpacas are born without any problems. Oh, so so not huge vet bills in that area. Generally, no. I know that a lot of times people say to me, oh, your sister has llamas. And I'm like, no, they're alpaca. So they look similar. What's the difference between llama and alpaca? Okay, they are in the same family. It's in the camelid family, so the largest of which are the the different two different kinds of camels, um, the Bactrians and the Dromedaries. And then the next largest in the camelid family is a llama, and they're generally about 250 to 275 pounds. Then comes an alpaca. Um, Wait, and how tall are the llamas? They, they seem taller than me, like they're six, two, or five, or something. Um, llamas can be variety heights, but generally speaking, a llama can look a full-grown human in the eye, mm. and an alpaca will come up to their chest. Hmm. So okay. their alpacas are much shorter. Um, llamas were bred to and raised to be beasts of burden. 
So up in the Altiplano in Peru and Bolivia and Chile, they were the animals of transport. So they would carry all the loads of material up to the high plains to build things there. When people walk to market and they take their goods to market, they generally load up their llamas with that. And now even in the West, if you go camping, you can go out, you can, if you don't want to carry your pack, you can go out with a a llama herd who will carry your pack for you. It's funny. So why would somebody use a llama instead of a mule or a horse? Um, Well, a horse has to have its feed carried for it. So if you're going to go into the backcountry for a long period of time, you got to not only carry a whole lot of bales of hay, but you also have to carry water. Why can't? Well, what about just having grass? Well, there isn't a whole lot of grass up in the mountains. Yeah, that's right. Okay. And there are footpaths. And if you've been on a horse and you're doing the little footpath on the edge of a mountain, it feels pretty unsafe. <laughs> and um, and llamas are just, you know, they've evolved for generations able to handle those kinds of little footpaths. So they're just much more maneuverable. They take less water, less feed. So that's why... Oh, they, they take less water than a horse? Way less. Oh, yeah, they're who knew? Like camels, you know, they, they just yeah. drink a lot less water. If you're interested in buying some luxurious alpaca clothing for yourself or for gifts, I have a free download of resources for you. Or maybe you'd like to try your hand at knitting a simple, soft scarf with my sister's unique yarn. I'll have links to that for you. Or maybe you want to buy a small herd of alpaca because you would like your acreage nipped down to a putting green without ruining the land. Then head on over to thisoutsidelife.com slash alpacas and download the information sheet about all things alpaca. That's thisoutsidelife.com slash alpacas. So... I never hear about anybody using llama hair. So, well, actually, um, you can you, there. Uh, you can buy yarn with llamas, and llamas are what we call a dual coated animal. So they will have long, kind of hair like fiber, and under that they will have more of a downy coat of fiber. And it could be very fine, and it could be used for hand knitting yarn. It seems like a big pain in the neck to um, comb that out and use it. So I think alpaca is just way more efficient. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I know you use llamas to guard your alpacas. Tell me about that. I think that's fascinating. Well, we live in an area where there are there's a lot of wildlife, and it's not uncommon for us to have small packs of coyotes moving through our property and occasionally mountain lions. And we have lost... Uh, four of my herd to mountain lions over the past years. And it's very difficult to, you know, protect your animals against a mountain lion, which can basically jump over a fence any height there or go under a fence. There's just pretty much nothing you can do. They, if they want to get your animal, they will get your animal. But I heard from other alpaca breeders that llamas will scare off the mountain lions. And I'm, I'm not exactly sure how this happens because llamas are not aggressive, just like alpacas are not particularly aggressive. But they, they are more 
in tune to defending their area. So if a mountain lion or a coyote come into an area where there are alpacas, the alpacas will band together, uh, much like a wild herd would be out in the wilderness. And so what what that means is they bunch together, and um, the boldest of them will try to scare off a pack of coyotes or a mountain lion. Are they like butts together all facing out? Yes. Okay. And they will keep their young in the middle of them when they do that. But um, coyotes and mountain lions are pretty clever and they can figure out ways to distract them and cut individuals out of the herd. Mm -hmm. But a llama will go right after the coyote or the mountain lion and kind of stomp their feet really aggressively in front of them and maybe try to stomp on the animals, on the coyotes or mountain lions. Whereas alpacas would never do that. They're just too small to really be able to take them on. And I think the taller size and the bigger mass of body make the mountain lions and the coyotes think, okay, well, that's just too big an animal. I can't take it on. And and they back off. That is fascinating. So I'm not sure that they'll always work. But since I've gotten my llamas, I have never lost an alpaca. So they're doing their job. They're doing their job, (laughs) yeah. All right. And so they do they so they just eat the same stuff the alpacas do, right? Absolutely. Same yeah. diet. And they're not any more hassle than the alpacas? Nope. Nope. No. If anything, they're less. Okay. Fascinating. So you talked about goats and you talked about I know that alpaca, llamas have the dual coats. What about goats? Do they have one and the, way, the reason I'm asking you this is I want to get to the topic of cashmere. Well, some goats have two coats. And some goats have just a single coat. It's a very complicated process to take the hair out of a downy undercoat. There, are, And that's where the cashmere comes from, that fiber? Is that yeah, what you're saying? downy yeah. undercoat. So the long hairs are much thicker and much longer. And the shorter fiber that you get cashmere from, and let me just clarify, cashmere is comes from a goat, not a cashmere animal. (laughs) You've actually had to tell people this. Actually, they wonder, was cashmere from a sheep? And it's no, it's from a goat. Cashmere is goat hair. So if you see somebody with a cashmere sweater and you can say, oh, what a lovely goat fiber sweater you have on. (laughs) You would be technically correct. (laughs) Okay, well, so when I'm shopping in the store at Christmas time, you see all these cashmere sweaters, $50. And and I remember cashmere sweaters being 100, 150. And then when you touch these sweaters, they don't really feel that soft as if you if you have an old one from like 30, 40 years ago, they were much plusher, they were thick, they're much softer. And so the cashmere I see today in the stores, or in catalogs, it's not really that soft. And it's really kind of thin. And what's going on with all that? Well, cashmere is a complicated topic and uh, anybody could talk about it for a long time. It is a truly delightful fiber when you feel it. But there are several things that I am concerned about with cashmere. One of which it's um, most of the cashmere goats that produce the sweaters that we buy in stores are are raised in China. Mm -hmm. And for Um, Fiber animals, the finer the fiber comes from an animal that has the poorer the diet. Mm -hmm. So if you want really fine cashmere, you starve the animal. 
Oh, that's horrible. And they know that. Like, if they're not eating well, they're going to have better fiber. Right. Oh. And you also have to keep your breeding um, consistent. So you're, so the, the part of any animal's fiber is its genetics and also what it's being fed. Hmm. So in China, because of the huge demand for cashmere products, they've had to introduce a wide variety of goats to produce enough fiber for the demand. And when you say demand, you mean worldwide. You don't mean just in China. You mean the U.S. market wanting all these cashmere sweaters. It's worldwide demand. Um, And so the top quality cashmere buyers, they have worked for decades with certain herds of cashmere goat raisers. And so they get their super fine cashmere from specific breeders in China. Oh, so they they really know exactly who and they've been working with them for decades. And huh? Right. And then the rest of the group, and I'm talking about the top, top buyers would be somebody like a Laurel Piana, or Zania, or you know, the very top people buying. That sounds like mainly Italians? Mainly Italian, yeah. The rest of the world buys run-of-the-mill cashmere, and it they haven't been specifically bred for fineness for long periods of time. They're not necessarily raised in the same situation. And sometimes what you think you're buying is cashmere. Actually, if you did the DNA test, is proven not to be cashmere. Oh, so what is just some goat here that's sort of... Soft enough, but not really, or or crummy sheep wool, or even sometimes polyester. Wow. Okay, so let's talk more about these goats. Uh, goats eat everything, and you were saying you don't want goats on your property, which is why you picked alpacas to munch down all the vegetation because they just leave it like a desert. So then, what is that? What's going on in China? In large um, communities where countries where they have large herds of goats, cashmere goats, um, the land that they graze on becomes a desert. And because the goats will eat everything, it's called a process called desertification. So if you've ever been in China, in Beijing, and you see these dust clouds, Mm. that's largely a result of desertification from poor farming practices, but also raising goats. Ah, okay. So then would you, you could make the argument that actually looking for alpaca garments is a more sustainable choice. It's better for the environment. Well, there, there are also two other reasons why alpaca are better. Alpacas do not eat everything. They very closely clip the grass, so they do not turn their environment into a desert. Another way to harvest the fiber from the cashmere goats is to comb it. So you would comb out, using a fine-tooth comb, the very downer, downy undercoat of the goats. And in China, that's usually done by young girls. Why? Just because they... Because they're cheaper Ugh. to pay or not pay. So their families would have their young people just combing goat hair. If somebody says, yeah, you've sold me an alpaca, it's... Oh, let's talk about the softness versus cashmere. Mm. Well, cashmere has been defined as having a micron count of 18 microns or less. That definition has changed over time. It's moving up. So now... Why is it moving up? Because you just can't get that fine of cashmere anymore? I think that's probably true. But 
technically cashmere is a goat hair, not necessarily a breed, but um, a goat hair that is 19 microns or less now. So when you say microns, you're talking about the width, the weight, what do you mean? Yeah, micron is a measurement of diameter. So typically a human hair is about 60 microns. Uh, Joe average sweater might be made from, you know, an average sheep's wool that might have 35 to 45 microns. Superfine merino can be as low as 12 microns. And typically superfine merino will be in the range of uh, 14 to 20 microns. Oh, which is why it feels so lovely and soft. Yes, definitely. And then, so then cashmere, you said is, it's 18, did you say? 19 microns or less. So then uh, superfine merino is actually softer, right? Yes. <laughs> and most alpaca fiber, we're not talking about yours right now, because I know you breed for fineness. What is most alpaca fiber? I would say in the U.S. and uh, most of Well, first of all, Peru produces by far 90% of the alpaca fiber that is produced in the world. So we in the U.S. are a very small percentage of the total fiber produced, total alpaca fiber produced. But is it growing? Is it a growing market here, people producing alpaca? I think it's stable right now. I Mm -hmm. um, I think still the vast majority of alpaca is grown in Peru. But I would say that the average fineness of the fiber in North America, and I say North America because it would be both the U.S. and Canada, uh, we produce on average finer fiber than Peru does. How's that or why is that? Um, We have stricter breeding practices. So when you have a herd of 10,000 alpaca out in the Altiplano, it's really hard to figure out exactly who is mating with who. Oh, yeah, impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Whereas you selectively say, I want this fiber to come out, so I'm going to put these two individuals together. Exactly. And North American breeders do that all the time. What is the average micron count of your fiber? Uh, My fiber has been measured. The average micron count is about 18 microns, so uh, finer than cashmere. Yeah. I do have some that go down into the 15 range, which is amazing. But Is that baby alpaca? Uh, it would be called royal baby alpaca. Yeah, oh, okay. There are all these different terms. Oh, that's right. It. If you go to Signe's website where she sells her yarn, you'll see a chart about royal baby, super fine, blah, 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 alpaca. Yeah. Okay. All right. So it's it's better for the environment to support alpaca garments. So where can people buy this alpaca well, you can certainly buy it at super fine high-end stores. Um, they sell it more and more now. But there, if you go on the internet and say alpaca sweater, there are a number of different companies usually selling sweaters from Peru. Mm. Um, and Peruvian Connection is just one that, that sells great alpaca sweaters. Mm-hmm. And you don't want it 100%, though, because unless you're living in Michigan, Maine, Canada, whatever. So you want it blended with what? Well, I think most alpaca sweaters coming from Peru are pretty much 100% alpaca. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they blend it with other fibers, but it's not common. Hmm. And what about, is anybody making garments in the U.S.? Uh, I think that's more of a cottage industry right now. Mm-hmm. All right. And I know you sell your yarn for enthusiastic knitters. How many of you guys are there in the U.S. selling alpaca blended yarns? Well, probably, you know, it's hard to say because almost every alpaca breeder probably produces yarn from 
their alpaca fiber and sells it in an alpaca store. So if you look look at it from that standpoint, probably you can find maybe 200, mm-hmm. 300 people who are selling it. But I think most discerning knitters are looking for things other than straight alpaca yarn. Yeah. yeah. So if I'm in a knitting store and I'm like, okay, I've heard about this alpaca. It's supposed to be as soft as cashmere. What should they look for? What kind of blend, if you're not a super fabulous knitter, what sort of blend should they look for? Um, You know, it depends on the garment that you want to make, but I think wool, sheep's wool, is just a miracle fiber. Mm. And I would look for something blended with sheep's wool. If I was going to make something like a shawl or a scarf for somebody, you just can't go wrong with silk. It's just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, I've also blended it in the past with mohair, which is a very fine goat hair, similar to cashmere, um, but usually a longer staple length. And I think sometimes you can find it blended with bamboo, which is... Oh, yeah. I've seen that with cottons and stuff. Yeah. Okay. All right. And they can buy it from you on your website. And they can buy it from me on my website. ValhallaYarns.com. V-A-L-H-A-L-L-A-Y-A-R-N-S. Yes, ValhallaYarns.com. And why did you pick the name Valhalla? Well, because... The, from the very first time I felt it, I thought it was just heavenly soft. And I just, and I'm of Norwegian descent, and the place that Norwegian gods called heaven was Valhalla. So, hence Valhalla yarns, heavenly soft fibers. Um, after raising alpacas and raising sheep, what is some of the delights or surprises you've had in all this animal husbandry? I think the surprises and delights are how interesting each individual animal is. I mean, if you look at a flock of sheep or a flock of alpacas, you might think, oh, they're all the same. They're not. They all have very, very different personalities. They mother differently. They have different friends in the herd. Some people, some animals in the herd, they really don't like. (laughs) And the whole concept of pecking order is true for any herd. And that's with either alpacas or sheep. Yep. Well, and you'd see it in cattle, chickens, anything. They're all that way. I remember you used to say you thought your chickens had different personalities, and I thought you were crazy, but they really do. They do. They do. (laughs) What do you think is more personable or easier for a person to start with, sheep or alpaca? Um, I think alpacas are more fun because they're just so unusual to look at. Mm-hmm. And if you have a, a small group of like three or four, you will really get to know them and they will get to know you. Mm-hmm. I think their faces have more expression to them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can see when they're happy and when they're not. So is the cost different for shearing a sheep versus an alpaca? Generally not. And what does it cost per animal? Uh, well, you know, it depends on your area and the uh, sophistication of your sheep shear. In mm. our area, it's about $35 per animal. Hmm. Okay. And then if somebody doesn't want to try to spin this fiber themselves, how do they find a mill to have it spun for them? Mm-hmm. Well, you, again, you can find anything on the internet. So you can look <laughs> up mini mills and or fiber mills, and there's probably one in your area. Okay. And so what have been some of your heartaches or, you know, things that you thought, oh, I wasn't bargaining on this when I started in this? Well, you know, there's in any kind of animal husbandry, whether you're talking about dogs or cats or something like a cow or a horse, it's always just heartbreakingly sad when you lose an animal. Mm. And it's, it's, 
it just rips me apart when that happens. And I think one of the saddest things I've ever experienced is with uh, one of my alpacas, who's for some reason, one of her Kriya and a, a baby alpaca is called a Kriya was born dead and mm. just watching her grieve over that dead baby. And you think, oh, they're, those animals don't have feelings. Well, gosh, that is so untrue. Mm. Um, it was just, it was heartbreaking. And it was also at the same time heartwarming to see all the other mothers in the herd kind of gather around her to support her. Oh, yeah. And you wouldn't expect that. But if you're, if you're out there and you're observant, you really see those things. Oh, wow. How has um, being an animal husbandry affected your perspective on life? Has it changed anything about how you view the world and all our little issues and problems? Well, I think animal behavior is fascinating. And mm. I see it. And I and I think people don't view or view themselves as being much more sophisticated than animals. And I guess I see a lot of similarities in clusters of people um, in terms of ganging up and bullying on others. You see mm. that in the animal world. It's a very animalistic thing to do. So I, I think it it helps me see that we have a lot more in common with animals than we other animals that, than we think we do. Mm. And I think uh, anim- well, all animals unless you raise, you know, maybe tortoises or parrots, have a much shorter uh, lifetime. Than parrots live really long. Well, I know, yeah. that's what I'm saying. Tortoises oh, live, yeah, yeah. live forever. Yeah. But other animals don't. So you get much more involved in the normal circle of life. Oh, yeah, you would. It's, it's right there in front of mm-hmm. you, and you can't avoid it. Uh, right. So have you had any sort of transcendent moments with your animals where you've just thought, mm. wow, I've just had a little glimpse of heaven? being around this? Oh, I think it happens daily. It's it's so hard to pick out one. But I have to say one of my favorite things to do at night is to, you know, walk down to the barn at night, just as everybody's kind of going to sleep, all the animals are, and just hear them kind of quietly munching in their stalls because they, they, alpacas will feed, you know, and eat and munch all the time. And sometimes you hear they're sitting with their all their friends and kind of quietly humming to each other. Right, humming? Yeah, alpacas will hum. They make a humming noise. Like a murmuring humming noise. Yeah, kind of. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's, um, and just kind of hearing everybody kind of quiet and peaceful at night in the barn is just a very nice way to end a day. Wow, that does sound lovely. Mm -hmm. Thank you so much. No problem, happy. (laughs) Wow, that was a lot of fascinating information, wasn't it? I had no idea about how goats cause desertification and how those young girls have to comb out the cashmere. I didn't realize how much easier alpacas were to raise than, say, cows or horses. I mean, it's sort of a win-win all around. Plus, if you have a herd of alpaca and you don't want to use the fleece, bring in a sheep shear, have them shear off the coats, and you can sell that fleece. It's very valuable. If you want to learn more about all this, and maybe you're interested in getting your own herd of alpacas, or you just want to buy some softer-than-cashmere luxury garments, or maybe you want to use some of this heavenly soft fiber to knit up some warm, cuddly gifts for yourself or others, head on over to thisoutsidelife.com alpacas, and you can get a free download with all the information 
information. It will have organizations to help you buy and manage alpacas, places to hire shearers, places to buy garments, and of course, a link to my sister's award-winning yarn that fiber enthusiasts from as far away as Japan go crazy over it. You have to feel it to believe it. The free download of information is at thisoutsidelife.com slash alpacas. Thanks so much for listening, and please take time to share this episode with friends that you think might be interested. Take a screenshot right now of what you're listening to of your screen and send it to them. Okay, we have some great shows coming up, Animal Rescue, Falconry, and other cool stuff. So until next time, take time to step outside and step into wonder in this outside life.